Today's podcast is brought to you by one of our awesome sponsors, New Belgium. One of their beers, Voodoo Ranger IPA, is a favorite here at the Creative Convergence. Voodoo Ranger IPA is perfectly balanced with notes of guava, mango, and pineapple with a delicately bitter finish. For beer news and occasional mediocre advice, follow at Voodoo Ranger on Twitter and Instagram, where you will hear about what's new and where you can find Voodoo Ranger near you. Voodoo Ranger IPA. Drink responsibly. Live rangerously. Welcome to the Creative Convergence, an audible nexus of the creative arts. I'm your host, Candace Devine. Join me in conversation as we discuss the journey creatives take on their path to success. Hey, everybody. I am so delighted for today's podcast. I have an old friend, a dear friend, and I can't wait to tell you about him. Todd Beauchamp is a marketing executive that has led creative teams at Bravo, E, and Esquire Network that have set new records in ratings, social, and industry accolades. When he's not busy convincing you to watch TV shows about eyebrow makeovers or whatever, Todd loves to produce for artists like Tyler Hilton, Curtis Peoples, and total pain in the ass Candace Devine. Candace, Candace, go bananas, banana, but wait a minute, I, what kind of bio is this? Do I have to really this jibber jabber? Todd is such an asshole. I mean, we're friends, but we're not like friends. You know what I mean? Maybe I should cancel. I mean, we've had Grammy winners on this show. Like, what has Todd really done? Honestly, we're scraping the bottom of the barrel right now. Um, okay, I'll, I'll just skip ahead and, and we'll get to the end. Anyway. Todd takes his work very seriously, but hates writing about himself in third person and definitely didn't write this bio specifically to make Candace Devine say stupid shit on her own podcast. No, he would never, never do that. <laughs> anyway, I think you're getting a sense of Todd Beauchamp as we speak. Please stay tuned and listen to our conversation. If you'd like to learn more about Todd Beauchamp, please see our show notes to get links to his social media account. Hey, everybody. I am beyond excited for today's podcast because my guest is, how do I even, he's an old friend, honestly. He's somebody I've known for quite a long time who I have adored for as long as I've known him. And he is a brilliant fucking mastermind. I said that right on the intro. I just dropped an F-bomb right at you, Todd Beauchamp. Um, So my guest is Todd Beauchamp. And we're going to get into the thick of this interesting character because if there is a conversation, if I need to go on a road trip and I need a good conversationalist, it is this gentleman right here. Welcome to my podcast, Todd Beauchamp. See, the joke is that I'm not speaking now. <laughs> I get it. I get it. <laughs> well, you've you heard me up with a great conversationalist. <laughs> totally. That wasn't even fair, but I know you'll live up to it. So it's okay. <laughs> I um, want to start at the beginning. You've heard the podcast, so I know you know how this goes. Let's start at the very beginnings of you. Where were you born and what was your kind of family life like as a zero tiny tot to like, you know, elementary schoolish? Yeah, uh, I was born in Fullerton, California, uh, Orange County. Uh, my parents live there. I am the first. I've got a younger sister and a younger brother. And uh, so my earliest days were spent at uh, Disneyland and Knott's Berry Farms. 
and uh, doing all that stuff. And then my family moved uh, out of California when I was four, uh, almost almost the exact same age uh, when we left California and moved to Colorado. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, we did, uh, that was outside Chicago. So I started elementary school uh, in, uh, it's a, a, a suburb of Chicago called Lyle. And then when I was in, I can't remember exactly, but fourth or fifth grade, we moved to New Jersey. Right. And this is the I part met. of you I do know. I, I did not know about the other two stops. I didn't know you were actually in California and then left and then bounced. Californian by, by birth. But uh, yeah, the formative years were New Jersey, which I think I picked up a lot of the New Jersey lingo. Yeah, you got the Jersey vibe. I got you. Yeah. You got some of that in there. How... How were you as a kid? Were you a creative kid? Were you a athlete kid? Were you a read books and imagination kid? What kind of kid were you? I was a voracious reader. Yeah. I read it uh, just an absolute, I just was constantly reading. Uh, not super athletic. Yeah. And then, and then in fifth grade, when it was uh, either sports or music, I went hard music. Good call. I mean, I like both. I really like both, but I, I love hearing that. It's like, you know, that's why our art programs are so important in general. As we now yeah. know, now that we have children, it's like, come on, there's got to be something for everybody. You know, not everybody's going to be a football player. Yeah, no, and uh, agreed. And also, I think the arts programs, you learn so much more than just the arts. You know what I mean? Like when you're learning a musical instrument or you learn how to read music, you know, music's just math. Right. Really. It's like math that you play with. So uh, it's fun, Matt. Yeah. So those programs are just incredible for kids. How are you with your family dynamic? Were you the one, like, were you the musician kid? Were you and your siblings all musician kids? Did you have a band? Yeah. I mean, I, as soon as I started playing instruments, we started putting bands together, just, you know, like pickup bands for like talent shows and that kind of a thing. Um, And then I even, I had like a real band in high school. And we used to like play gigs and stuff. We We're, called our band Bob was the name of that band. <laughs> That's actually a great band name. <laughs> hey, have you heard the, have you heard the new Bob record? It's awesome. Like go check out Bob. Yeah, not Robert, Bob. Bob. Because we wanted to be, you know, approachable and nice. <laughs> uh, yeah. So then I yeah, I was playing music the whole time. It was tough uh my parents are lovely people but i was like the first musician so there were no there were no musical instruments hanging around the house or stuff that i could just pick up and do so every time i wanted to learn how to do something they had to like go buy me that instrument and it like so it was uh you were the you were the groundbreaker yeah you were the like hey mom and dad you're gonna spend money this way now person yeah well and like the first thing i really wanted to play i loved guns and roses and Steven Adler, and I wanted to learn how to play drums. So, like, I didn't you know, know that. What an incredible, <laughs> hey, mom, dad, the <laughs> loudest, most annoying instrument that is also incredibly expensive. That's the thing I want to do. And so, like, there was, a, I remember a lot of like debating and back and forth, and I had to like take lessons for a long time. So, like, the, the, they knew I really wanted to do it. And then they always supported me. Yeah. But I, I think. It, I yeah. get that now. Now that you're a parent, I kind of get that now because like my son, I it'll be interesting to see if Rhett is in that, but like he's in, everything's phases. It's like, yeah. it's dinosaurs all day, every day. This is my life. And then like three weeks later, it's like, nah, Transformers. 
or something yeah. else, you know? What's a, what's a dinosaur? Yeah. yeah. And then you'd be like, and I even, the ones that constantly crack me up is food. Like he'll just eat us out of house and home with this one specific thing. And then one day I'll hand it to him and he'll be like, nah, nah, I don't. I don't like that anymore. I don't want that. Yeah. <laughs> what? So, but all the TV, yeah, all the TV said, like, you're yeah. like, I want drums. And they're like, yeah, go, go prove it before sure. we do all of this. And then you're like, yeah, no, I don't play the drums anymore. <laughs> I mean, that kind of happened. I mean, and then on a longer, t- I mean, music has always been a part of my life, but like on a longer timeline, that ended up happening because I played drums for like six or seven years. And then when I was playing in these bands, when we started like writing our own material, it really bugged me that I was playing drums and that I wasn't part of the chord progressions and like the part of the, the songwriting. Like I was just playing beats while other people hashed out song ideas. That is so interesting. I because I love the drums. Like I wish I, I can I can do myself like chat. I can hold that down all day, but the minute you need a fill or, or something else, like we're in trouble. But I can totally see that element. And I was talking to an artist the other day who does play drums in a number of bands that we have here. And he's like, oh man, I hate playing the drums. And I was like, wait, what? And I'm like, you play drums and everything. He's like, I know, but like in my in my heart, like I want to be part of the chord progressions and I want to be part of the, re-. and I was like, oh, that's a thing. It makes perfect sense. I mean, when you're in the band setting, you know, I, not that to take away from the drums because I, I love that instrument, but if you do want to have, if you have that creative mind and if you have that lyrical tendency and that melodic tendency, it does leave something to be desired that way. Yeah, I mean, and like, look, I love drums. I mean, you know, the beat is the cornerstone of the song and you need that stuff. Like, it's very, very important. But when you're in a songwriting session and you're the drummer... You're, you're just kind of sitting there. Like, you're not really helping out that much. So is that and, when you picked up a guitar? Yeah. So then I started playing guitar. Oh. Time to go get the kid. <laughs> that was actually a perfect... Do you really need to go get the kid? Because I don't want him to be sitting without a dad. <laughs> no. Andrew is going to go. Okay. I was going to say, I do not need Rhett's like, therapy in his future to be based on this podcast because he no. felt abandoned that you didn't show up at school. We're, um, we're okay. Okay. <laughs> no, I totally yeah, and, get that uh, though. And then, and I really wanted to write. I really wanted to be a part. And then once, once I started writing songs, uh, I haven't stopped. Yeah. To, like, it, to me, that's where the real juice is. And you're so damn good at it too. So let's talk about that transition though, because I'm curious how, like high school age was this happening? Was this junior high, high school-ish? When you were yeah. kind of like, putting the band together and then thinking, oh, maybe I have something to say and maybe I want to write and maybe I want to... Yeah, like junior high was drums. Like I was, I was, I was a serious drummer for a while. Like I put, I, when our high school did Grease, I was in the, I was in the pit band. Yes. Hand jive, that was me. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, yeah, sometime, yeah, like high school, I started doing both, playing guitar and drums. And then were you a self-taught guitarist at that exact point? Or did you then go to your mom and dad and say, listen, I've gotten really good at the drums and I haven't ditched the drums and I play and I'm in the pit playing the drums, but I would also very much like to learn this guitar. Or did you just kind of like save up, buy one and teach yourself? Uh, I saved up, bought one, I think at a, a Goodwill or something. Like that was my first guitar. Yeah. And then I just taught myself like chords, like just, I had like a chord book. And then I had a couple of friends that were uh, Lawrence Duncan, if you're out there, my man. 
and he, and then that was when I first started learning songs. So like, you know, it was chords for a while, a couple of months of just like figuring out how to do it. And then once somebody started saying to me, okay, now that's knocking on heaven's door. You put those three chords together and now you've got this. And then once that happened, there was just no Right. Stopping. Then you were like, oh my gosh, the world is my oyster. Now I need to do all the things. Did you start learning? Were you, because this is, I find this interesting in, in an artist's journey. Were you the person that innately kind of was like, I have all my favorites. I'm going to go learn all that first. Or did you just kind of go like, obviously I'll, I'll learn those songs and mess around with them, but like immediately going into what can I create myself? Both. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was, uh, and I just, I just love songs. I love song structure. I love chord progressions. Uh, I have a pretty good ear now. Um, <laughs> you have an incredible, he's being very modest. You have an incredible <laughs> ear. But so it, uh, within a couple of years, I would say I could just hear songs on the radio and just like hear what the chord progressions were. Um, and just know, like, you know, I guess after I painters, you know, they start seeing very slight gradations in color yeah. and, uh, the same thing happened with my ear and just the more I played and the more I heard, I could just listen and understand what was going on. Right. And then I took music theory and at it and then, yeah, just self-taught. And then I remember I had like a, uh, like one of those old school four track cassette recorders. And I used to just hang out in my basement and I wanted to just record Beatles songs and whatnot and then I would have to play every instrument to do it because I was the only one there. <laughs> <laughs> Minor detail, so, but also what a great training ground. You were like, oh, I guess I need to learn other things now. Yeah, so then I ended up... So like if if your definition of being able to play an instrument is that you can play a couple Beatles songs on it, I can play lots of things now. But I was I never got excellent, uh, like, like a great... I was never a great musician at any one thing. But I guess probably... I mean, I, it was the best at guitar. Yeah. Where, you know, people would ask me to sit in with them and stuff. So for you, as through high school, you put together a band, you had a band. Were you guys already writing at that time or were at that or in high school, were you kind of a cover band of whatever was or both? No. Well, I mean, both. Like my first bands in junior high, mostly we played covers. But by the time like Bob was a real band, we we put out a record that we made ourselves. It had, I don't know, 10 songs on it. That's amazing. Yeah. We sold it. Uh, we had we made a bunch of because back then it was cassettes because I'm old, and uh, and we had a, like pillowcases. We made like copies of our own record and then sold them at school for like two bucks. I love this. Everybody listening, like you can do it too. I mean, now we're in a time of independent music out the wazoo, so I think most people often start making their own music in some way or other and figure out how to pedal it or sell it. But I love knowing that like prior to the past, you know, 15 years, really, you know, to have a bunch of kids get together and be like, no, we're going to do this. We're going to make it like, that's incredible. That's really quite a feat. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, we, we wanted, we loved our songs and we wanted to hear them. And I mean, I, studio time was like 40 bucks an hour back then. That's and amazing. so like, we would just go into studios and play everything live, maybe do some vocal overdubs, but that was about it. There's a little bit to that, that, yeah, there's a little bit to that I kind of wish were still the case. As much as I completely champion and love the fact that people can have their laptop, you know, get all the plugins, do all the things, there is an art and a science, and it's really cool for that too. I'm not putting it down. But I I do think the concept, when I, when I envision, you know, T9 
teenagers of a sort getting together, collaborating together, saving up their money, however they do it, for the 40 bucks an hour. And maybe they make a hundred bucks, you know, they can stretch a hundred bucks to get X amount of songs done. There's something about that to me that just feels so right, you know, that just allows kids to get out there and be like, fuck it, just go make music. And I think, I mean, look, now a lot of the, a lot of the kids coming up now, (laughs) uh, you know, they make music with their laptops. Like the laptop is Is the the instrument. instrument. Yeah. And they're inventive and groundbreaking and all that stuff is, you know, really, really cool. Uh, You know, that didn't exist when I was a kid. And so I think in my case, it forced us to become better musicians because we had to all get the song right because there weren't punch-ins. There wasn't like, (laughs) if you missed a fill, then the fill just wasn't on the record. Like we had time, you know, because we were kids. So we had to record our whole album in four hours or whatever it was. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, same thing. We only had that much money. Totally. And same thing with singing. I remember, you know, my first record or my first, anytime I was hired, it was like, there wasn't all this like auto-tune and all of these things. So if you sang flat, or sharp, like they would say, sing it again. Do it again. You know, right. do it again and don't suck. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, there's something really nice. And I, you know, I have very fond memories of making records with people later when I became a music producer, where like, it's very, very cool to be able, if they, if they sang something sharp or flat or whatever, but the vibe was just incredible. Totally. To be able to fix it, you know, so that it was correct. Or if, you know, just to know that if somebody missed a fill or whatever, you could just put that fill in there and not. Oh, yeah, yeah you're preaching. I'm all for the yeah. modern. I'm all for the updating of technology. I mean, it makes everybody's life a hell of a lot easier. And it's a really cool way to, to get the feel and still be able not to lose the take, but to be able to doctor it to be presentable for an audience. Yeah. Uh, my only point is that I do think when you didn't have those options, it really taught everybody to hone the craft yeah. So that when you did, as we got to later and the technology came, we all went into the studio and you could go, wow, that tone, you know, she's only like an inch flat. Like it, the, it really is the take and we can just dial it up a, a sense, you know, um, opposed to being like, wow, I have to create this singer <laughs> with all of my editing. <laughs> I, I did have a couple of clients where I had to do that too. Like I did in my, in my producer days, it's like occasionally you would have a client that just had absolutely no musical ability at all and you would just have to invent it in the oh computer. Oh my gosh. So let's get into, okay, so let's get into, so from a high school you had a band, Bob, and yeah. you guys did record and you did put out a record and that's incredible. In your family structure or for you personally, were you a person that was like, oh, high school's over, I'm going to go hit the ground and be a musician? Were you like, I'm going to go to college? Did you have any dreams of art as a career path? Did you even care? Uh, yes. All of those things. Um, I didn't really want to go to college. Uh, I wanted to just move to New York and be a musician. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, my parents did not want that for me. And, uh, they did bring me around to going to college and then, uh, going insane. So, uh, in, in, in any particular order, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so I did. I went to University of Delaware, uh, alma mater of our current president. Go Blue Hands, and uh, and I had a, I started a band right away when I got to college, and that we that band 
I mean, this was uh, this was the '90s, so that was a hippie band that I was in. Love it. Uh, we had a bunch of different names. I think the one that we had the most was Kobayashi Maru. But we would just change the name of the wow. band. Wow, where how do we, how do we drum up Kobayashi Maru? I mean, I'm into uh, it. It's a deep cut Star Trek reference. Got you looking at. It. Um, and that I mean that was awesome because those were three three and a half hour like bar band gigs, and we would just like improvise, and I would write songs that were easy to improvise around. So we would do you know. 20 minute versions of songs if we felt like it and just like look around and be like, should we do the chorus? I don't know. Oh yeah, let's do it. Um, yeah. And that was a great run. Love that. And then after that, uh, and then I graduated and then I got my first job, uh, doing video and television stuff. So I was an editor. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Cause that, cause this is one of the reasons why I'm super excited to have you on is that you are, you are brilliant at multiple things because you have been a great producer. You produced one of my EPs um, in my former band and you are an incredible musician and a great songwriter, storyteller. You also edit. You're involved in television. So we have more to uncover here. So uh, in college, were you already editing? Was that part oh, of your... I forgot about that. Yeah, in college, I joined... Uh, they gave me a TV show. So like you, like I, you do. You just say that you've turned. You're just like, oh, you know, I mean, they just gave me I mean, TV. I mean, like you do. <laughs> it's not, you know, it's campus TV. Like it wasn't like real. <laughs> but it's still like, did they just pluck you out I of did. obscurity? Did you raise your hand for this position? Like how did this come to be? I, I just started hanging out at the campus TV station. And then... And I was just helping out. It was all volunteer and stuff. And they had one of the very first nonlinear editors. So I was like learning, editing, uh, and just general TV production. And then someone who had a show graduated. And I think I was a sophomore. So like they couldn't make their show anymore. And then uh, me and Rob, Rob Berliner, uh, Todd and Rob, they're cops. Uh, we had a TV show, I think for like two years, maybe. I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't remember things. Uh, so, yeah. So when I graduated college, I knew how to edit and make TV. And was that something you had interest in over being a musician? I mean, this just goes to show what a creative person you are in general. But I mean, did were you like picking and choosing or were you just like, I'll do it all and we'll see what, what lands on the wall? I've always loved both. I've always loved uh, TV production. I always, I grew up, first movie I ever saw was Star Wars. You know, like movies and TV were just a huge part of my life. Uh, I consumed them like I like books, you know, just any, all that stuff. I love stories. I love storytelling. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. And then I always, you know, I did, I did music and I always loved that TV stuff. And then in college, that was like an option. So I took every production class I could take. And then eventually they gave me a show. And then when I graduated from college, oh, actually, I didn't even grab. How I got my first job is that a local video production company called the TV station and said, hey, I need to hire someone. Do you have anyone who's graduating who's a good editor? Like, I didn't even apply for that job. Like, there was no... And the guy was like, yeah, I'll send you Todd. That's so then amazing. that was my first job. Yeah. Do you think that happens? Do you think that happens anymore? 
I have no idea how anything happens anymore. I feel like <laughs> it all happens online somehow. And there are secret websites that I don't know about. And then that's where all the jobs are, is how I think it works. <laughs> it's just, I think it's amazing that uh, so much has changed in such a rapid amount of time with technology. And I find that fascinating because I do think there were beautiful, and I know that opportunities still land in beautiful pockets of time. Like that, that's one thing that humans manage to figure out no matter what. It's just how we figure it out and how we find those opportunities have changed. But there's something really great about, you know, the the small townness or the intimacy or the human to humanness of being like, hey, we're short a person. You got any kids graduating that are talented? Like send them our way. Yeah, I will say, I mean, in LA, it happened a lot, but it was more like, you know, the boss would come out to the bullpen where we were all doing whatever we were doing. And they'd be like, I need a designer who knows Maya. Does anyone know anybody? <laughs> and, you know, somebody would be like, yeah, I got, I got a person. They'd be like, great. Get them in here tomorrow. So let's talk about it. How did you, uh, okay, so you graduate college. Let's talk about that because I mean, okay. I met you in LA. So obviously you were an East Coast fella. Yep. Uh, I graduated college and then was gigging around town and doing my job, my job. And this is all was, still in Delaware, which is a very small state. Delaware, you can drive yeah, through in five small. minutes. Uh, that one little corner, yeah. yeah. But there's more to Delaware. I, I, I have a lot of fond Delaware memories. I yeah, it's it's a great little state, the first state. Yeah. Um. So, uh, it, what was great about my first job is, and I think this is a running theme in my life, was that I learned to do a lot of different things. None of them exceptionally well, but all of them well. <laughs> a, ja- a jack of all trades, right? Jack of all trades. Yeah. yeah. Uh. So uh, at first I was an editor. But then I was also a graphic designer. I learned Illustrator. I learned Photoshop. Uh, DVDs were invented. So we had one of the first DVD authoring stations. So I was constantly being sent to Borders uh, books to buy, you know, such and such for dummies. I bought all of those. Right. Uh, And then uh, Paul was constantly sending me to classes. So like, you know, there'd be some new software and he would just be like, Todd, go take this three-day class and learn how to do this. And I'd be like, great, yeah. So um, yeah, I stayed there for four or five years. And while that was happening, I was gigging around town and as a solo, you know, strummy strum acoustic guy, writing my songs. And um, What would and you say, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but at that time, what would you say your like stylings were as far as your own musical sound? Uh, a lot of like, um, well, I mean, my holy trinity is Beatles, Beach Boys, Carol King. Uh, uh, that's the best trinity ever. <laughs> I no, love- no one is going to say, mm, you know, I two out of the three. Like, that's it, an amazing trinity. I love, I love chords. I love acoustic guitar. I love strummy strum songs, you know, about people having their hearts broken. Uh, and all that good stuff. So I would, you know... There was a lot of, um, like, most of my serious influences are singer-songwriters that nobody's ever heard of. Uh, Francis Dunnery. Da- Dana Kurtz is just an absolute goddess. Oh, if, check her out. Oh, my God. You'd die. Uh, <laughs> Mead was a guy I really loved a lot. Um, so that kind of, like, you know, singer-songwriter, which, you know, I sort of missed the boat. Cause like I was doing all that singer songwriter stuff. And then 10 years later, it got very cool in LA to be that. 
Isn't that funny how that happens sometimes? You're just like, I remember I put up my first record and they were like, oh, a blue-eyed soul singer, that'll never sell. And then Nobody's like interested in that. Like every label that I met with was like, mm, I mean, we love you, but like it's just never gonna be a thing. Flash forward Adele, Amy Winehouse. Um, yeah, I was like, yeah. um, really? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Just Stone, Duffy. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I remember her. James She's Morrison. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. So, oh, and then I was playing gigs and like a, uh, 40, 50 people would come. And so eventually I just had this moment where I was like, all right, if I can bring 40 or 50 people to, a, you know, a coffee house in Wilmington, Delaware, like I've, I've got to be good enough at this to go try it for real. So at 26, I think I was, it just became a question of, is it going to be New York or LA? Because I can't live the rest of my life and not try and do this for real. Amen. My- yeah. So then I moved to LA in September 11th happened. And then I went to Europe for a month and then backpacking and, you know, knowing I was about to go through a life change. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, I moved to LA. Now, I just have to ask, during all of this time, your family, were they like, were they supportive, like, go be a musician? Or were they like, hey, we uh, paid for college and, uh, you know, go find a corporate job. I don't know. How'd they feel about it? it uh, I think it's both. I mean, I think the main thing is my parents just always worried that I, you know, a, a struggling musician doesn't pay their rent. Right. And they wanted they wanted me to they want to know that their kids are successful. I think the other thing that was tough for them is that I was the first musician. Right? So like they support me. Absolutely. Like they bought me all those instruments and they got me those classes and like they absolutely supported me, but I just don't think they really like they never wanted that stuff for themselves, so they just didn't really know what to do with it. Right. But supported me still. And then it, it would always just be funny because I would talk to them about, hey, you know, so-and-so is going to come see me play. I think, you know, cool things are happening. And they would be like, great. You went though, right? <laughs> <laughs> great. But like, is your are your utilities on? <laughs> yeah. Are you are you able to shower still? <laughs> Ah, showering's for suckers, mom. Musicians don't shower. I'm playing music. (laughs) They were like, okay, we can live with the body odor. Can you feed yourself? (laughs) Most days. (laughs) Uh, But then when I got to LA, though, that was when I, I really just, like, actually, basically, since I, I mean, I guess all the way back, I've just always done both. So, like, I've always had you know, some sort of TV marketing production job, more, more post-production than production. Um, and then I've always done music in some form or another, but they've both shifted over time. And every five years, both of those things are something else. So like I, I was a solo uh, singer-songwriter, but then when I got to LA, I joined a band as a lead guitar player. Yeah, and then did. we... We had this rock band that played for five years and did this, you know, had this incredible run, played the Viper Room once a month for I was going to say, that band, that band like made a lot of splash and a lot, had a lot of attention. We, we got real close a few times, but it, it never happened for us in the way we wanted. Uh, but it was, I mean, that was just an incredible run. Yeah. And then I was playing gigs by myself on the side sometimes. 
Uh, and then, and part of being in that band that was incredible was um, we got to record at Cherokee Studios, which Badass. is world class. I mean, just incredible. And um, and after I did that, I mean, I just wanted to record all the time. And then that, and then that process grew me into me buying all my own gear and opening my own music studio. Vienna Circle. Vienna Circle Studios yeah. at your service. Yeah. It's an awesome place. And how did you, at that point, how did you, um, did you feel like you switched your hat at all from an artist to a producer? Or did you, because were you still trying to do both and using your own studio for your own stuff? Because we came in, my old band, we came in and you produced us and you had many others. You worked with Tony Luca. I mean, the list goes on and on. From that LA scene, you really flourished as a producer. At that point, did you kind of fall into the creativity of that role more so? I loved it. Now, there was there was one year that where I paid my rent all year producing people's records, and I loved that. If I if I could have done that as a career, I would have that would have been great. Uh, truth be told, it was also like the the process of making music, and I love producing is just the greatest because you get to be in everyone's band totally for, for a month or two, yeah. and then and then and you get to like show them how you hear them when they play. Because most of my clients were singer-songwriters or people without a full band, usually. So, And when I would sit there at Room 5 or Hotel, I would hear their song and I would be like, oh man, if the drums were doing that and the bass was, oh, that would be so cool. And we could put some little background vocals in there. Um, that's how I hear people yeah. when they're playing by themselves. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, getting to do that for your... It's also really tough because musicians are broke. (laughs) That's just the, it's hilarious because it's the statement of of life. It's true. It's like musicians have this road where it's like until you break through whatever ceiling, whether it's placements in TV and being able to record or whether it's that you developed such a large audience or whether it's just that you are a marketing genius and somehow you've managed to like create a niche where you have continual revenue that's the big thing we're all up against it's like how do you make no money and also have to spend all the money to make the product (laughs) yeah and i hated it i felt like a dick all the time because i'd have to be like hello broke musician i need my 2500 (laughs) (laughs) because i also have rent to pay that is the price that we agreed on for this thing (laughs) totally yeah did you know yeah by the time, you, but did you miss playing, even though you got to be in everybody else's band? Like, did you at any point, or was it a transition of your artistry to be in everybody's band where you were kind of like, oh, I am now creatively masterminding from this angle versus the other? Or did you just kind of write your own songs on the side and then jump into everybody's band? Uh, yeah, as, as I was producing more, I was gigging less. But I have to say that producing... Um, you used all of my brain and used all of the things. Whereas gigging, like I loved sitting in with everybody's band. It was super fun. But like if I was just playing guitar and singing some background harmonies or whatever, that didn't use all of my brain. Right. Right. Like, and and I mean, there's my favorite feeling in the whole wide world is being the G sharp <laughs> in the three part harmony over the major E chord. Like, I mean, that's incredible. It just feels, makes every hair on your body stand on end. You're like, everything is right with the world right now. Right now. Yeah. Right. In that three-part harmony, we did it. Right now. There it is. 
but yeah, as I produced more, that was like the first feeling I had of using my entire brain all at the same time. And you sort of stop playing an instrument and you start playing the artists, um, you know, cause part of your job is to psych them up and get that performance out of them and show them. And like, once I was doing that, uh, the other stuff mattered less. That's so interesting. I remember when we were in the studio together, one of the moments that will I will never, it's it burned into my brain in the best way, but we were working on one of our songs. I think it was Till the Sun Comes Up or something. And to your point, you were so brilliant at creating a world around the song that allowed us to do what we wanted to do. And, and it was one of these things where I remember you specifically going, and right about here, somebody's dancing with his gal or whatever, and he's spinning her right about here. And this is where the drums are going to drop so that he, the perfect moment of like, and however you were describing it, you were kind of illuminating a whole vision to the song that we then went in and recorded with so much more like, oh yeah, like that is what should be happening. Ah, You know, and it was such a beautiful thing for you to share with us because you made us very comfortable with the identity of the experience for the listener. Thank you. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, that's one of the, one of the main parts, like one of the, because usually when you're recording a song, you don't, you know, you record it in pieces. And yeah. so, especially like with the singers and with the artists, you have to have a vision for where it's going to go because when they're singing their vocal, there's nothing there yet. And so like, so you have to, you know, you got to make these like background tracks and you got to figure out, you know, what tempo the song's going to be and what, like, what, like how all that stuff's going to work before there's anything there. And then you start layering stuff on. I mean, a lot of times we would record a scratch vocal and then go back at the end and do the real vocals. But like, that's a big part of a, being a producer is you, you have to tell people, you have to give them a vision of where you're going before you start. Because then once you have that common vision that you're all on the same page about, um, then everyone's ideas become steamroller. Yeah, they and flow. It's very, it's a very collaborative, you know, very artistically fruitful experience, you know? And it, and if you do your job right, it feels easy and fun. What's funny uh, is I never put together the through line of that in editing because obviously as a producer, you are music editing in a sense, but it's like I never put together that really everything you just said is the same thing toward a final product in film or television. I mean, you're really having to establish this dialogue with an audience. And then once you figure out what that's supposed to be, then you can shape the project to, to if I'm correct. I mean, yeah. please. No, that's exactly right. And I would say the, the two things that I've done, you know, music production and TV production, mostly marketing, um, they are exactly the same. Yeah. Like the I, ones I can't believe I've never even thought about it in those terms before. Like, sorry, my brain is catching up, but it's like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, here's the moment where the light bulb goes off. But that makes so much sense. Yeah. I mean, they use exactly the same muscles in my brain to do one, to do the other. And it's because it's, um, you're communicating, there's a message, right? Like the story of the song on the music side or, you know, a marketing message of, hey, watch this TV show. You're communicating a tone and like you have to agree. It's just, I mean, you can, sometimes you can find it as you go and, and there's stuff there, but generally you have to know where you're going yeah. and then communicate that to the people around you before you do it. 
hey guys, I think that's where we need to go. (laughs) Right. That helps. (laughs) I can see how that would help. You're like, I I think it would be wise to get everybody on board with this vision that I think we need versus I go do it. And then everybody goes, no, 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 that was not what we were trying to do. Oh, I don't like that at all. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, it's too, because if you can, when you set the, set the flag, right. Plant the flag. Um, then when you show them the first cut of the thing, either, you know, no matter what it is, they're not surprised by it. They're not, it doesn't come out of left field. Like they knew what they were going to get. And then when you play it for them now, and then there's always feedback, there's always notes, there's always a process, there's always experimentation and development, but like, you know, that's, that's part of the thing. That's the, you know, that's the fun part is trying things. Yeah. So let's go, let's go back because I want to get, you're in the band in LA, you're in a band, you guys are blowing up. You're doing all this great stuff. As bands do, we both have been subject to this. People drift. They grow apart. They don't always see eye to eye. Time just gets in the way. Whatever the case may be, bands typically, with with a, maybe a handful of exceptions that I can name, The Stones, Aerosmith, Coldplay. Right. I mean, there are bands that stay together, but there's a lot more bands that don't over time. Yeah. We didn't get along at all, and we never got along. <laughs> And we would do this thing that is so, we would make decisions like Congress. I mean, it was just unreal. So like here, this would be, so someone would come to band practice and say, I think we should do a thing a, and somebody else would come into band practice and say, I think we should do thing B. Now thing a was a great idea. Thing B was a great idea. Incompatible. It can't do both but they're both really good ideas. We would then argue for three and a half hours (laughs) and like pick factions and pick sides and whatever and like really hash it out and just be mad and be total (laughs) quick. Just be mad. Yeah. What we would do is we would say, all right, we're going to do half of idea A and half of idea B, but we all hate doing it this way so we're going to phone it in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that was a recipe for success. <laughs> anyway, that band never got signed. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. Today's episode is brought to you by our wonderful public school system here in Prescott, Arizona. The Prescott Unified School District has been serving children for over 150 years. And while the community and district has grown and changed considerably since 1868, the commitment to children, families, and the community remains the same to this day. PUSD welcomes all students, including those who live outside the district boundaries, because at Prescott Unified School District, every child, every day, everywhere matters. Proceeds from your membership and our advertisers with Raven Productions goes directly to supporting the arts programs in the PUSD. What, I, can't, I can't imagine why we didn't get ahead. No, well, but it's so interesting. So what, but you had a big following. That's the thing is that you guys really did have this like. Hey man, I, we, wrote, we wrote great songs. We put on a great show. Uh, it was just the behind the scenes. It was an absolute nightmare. Yeah. And then eventually uh, Derek moved back. He did, We did this thing. We There was like this circle where we would write a collection of new songs that everybody really liked. And then we would start playing the new songs live. Uh, crowds would start coming. Uh, 
we would hear about and there would be like label interests sort of more people would hear about that and more people would come. And then, so then we'd be doing, and then you'd hear more about label. And it was, it was always this weird like side conversation that I never really understood, but like we got scouted a bunch of times. And like when the scouts were going to be there at the gig, even more people would come. Right. Right. And then, you know, we never got signed. Like we never, it never went past that. And then we would just hear like, yeah, yeah, they, they didn't hear a single or whatever. We'd hear whatever. And then we'd play a gig and no one would be there. (laughs) (laughs) So like, and then that cycle, that cycle took like, like a year, maybe a little, like maybe 14, 15 months. And then we would just do that cycle Cycle again. again. And we did that cycle five times, I think before the bass player uh, and our de facto manager, uh, Derek was just like, you know what? This, this is never going to, like, if we can't get this close and have it not happen. And right. it's never happened. So he moved, moved back. So how does that, and I, the reason I'm asking is just because I know that so many people that do listen to this from a creative standpoint, I mean, this is something that happens. You're talking about humans. Humans have opinions. Humans have mixed ideas. Humans have different times of when they call it. How was the dissolving of that five years of energy? And like, was that something that, was it kind of an exhale and a relief for you at some point? Or was it like, oh man, this is a bummer. When I look backwards, we could have done X, Y, or Z. How did that feel? Uh, how did it feel? Yeah, I mean, I, I, again, both. I mean, like there was something freeing about it, about it being, because it was such a huge part of my life for so long. I mean, that was the number one thing that I was, all my time and energy was being spent on. Um, so there was something nice about letting it go. Yeah. Um, and I mean, and you know, and they've gone on, uh, they're still playing, they're still doing it. I think they're all back in Arkansas. I honestly don't, I haven't kept in touch. It's okay. I'm a a dick. (laughs) (laughs) You're not a dick. Life happens. We all move into different directions at this time. Was this when some more of your like TV career was budding? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think that's when I got my job at Bravo around then. Yeah. Cause then, oh, you know, cause all right. So that band ended and then that was when I started getting serious about being a music producer. Right. And then that was when I had my year and I did like Yaden's record and like really tried to ingrain myself in that hotel cafe crew as like tried to be like the go-to guy for all those musicians. And then after that year, and I mean, it's just, it's getting blood from a stone. It's just awful when all of your clients are broke musicians, cause like you need to get paid, but like they, they don't have the money. And like, what do you do? Right. I still want to report them. So then after that, I was like, you know what? I need a nine to five. And it just so happened that a friend of mine worked at Bravo and they were doing a network redesign and they needed a guy. You ready for this? I'm ready. They needed, they needed a person who was good at a lot of different things, but not necessarily a master of one. And Jack I of was, all trades. Jack of all trades. So I popped in there and it was, you know, because I had to interface with it's a network redesign is like the look of the network on the so it's like what the bug is and like what all the transitions are, all the graphics that you see in a, a million different iterations. So they needed somebody who could speak all those different languages to interface with all those different people. Like I, I mean, I was essentially a like a project manager and a translator. That's amazing. So that was, yeah, I did that for a year. And then I just loved those people so much. And I loved being there. 
so then I got a job as a creative producer there and I did marketing, you know, next week on The Real Housewives. So I made promos for, was there, I think, eight years all in? Yeah, because I remember, when did, where did we have lunch? We were on the lot. It was so much fun. I can't remember why I was there, but I remember you being like, oh, I'll meet you down at the commissary. I'm just, you know, chilling at Bravo being a badass. <laughs> uh, I think that was, well, if we were on the lot, that would have been after, because I did, I was at NBC Universal for 11 years. And in my time there, I worked at Bravo. I worked at E. I worked at Esquire Network. Oh, yeah. And then Esquire Network got shut down. And I, they kept me and I went back to E. So I, I actually remember when we had lunch, you were there to sing. You were in the band on The Voice. Oh, that's right. I was like, I don't yeah. know why I was there. <laughs> yeah. That's right. People, people put you on airplanes to have you sing <laughs> is, is how your life works. <laughs> I don't know that it was quite as glamorous as the way you just made it sound, but we'll just go with that in case it was... In case. And they, they flew you in, sister. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, whatever. <laughs> um, um, what was I going to say to you, though? So, so in Bravo, as your Bravo, and then E, I think it was E, maybe when you were when we had lunch. Um, yeah. But as you were doing that, was it feeding your creative entities? Were you missing music at all? Do you still write because you're, you know, you're still in editing now, which I still want to get into because it's the next chapter. This is one of my favorite parts of these conversations is that when you look at someone's lifespan and so casually we, casually, we go through our lives and we don't think about all these amazing chapters that we do create. So at this point, you're in editing, you're in LA, the band has fizzled for this point, or you've been like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go this direction, get the nine to five, pay my bills, be awesome. Did you yeah, I mean, did you let go of the writing part, or do you do that like at home in your room? When you, like, how did that work for you on a creative front? I still write. Yeah. Um, actually, when we we moved to Colorado a year ago, and uh, when we first moved here, I was down in the basement writing a lot. Um, <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Yeah, but, maybe there's a Taco Champ record coming, dude. I absolutely loathe recording myself. <laughs> I love <laughs> recording other people, but the like sitting here by yourself and getting the guitar and putting the mic and checking the sound and doing it with head, it is a nightmare. I hate it. So <laughs> I I am never going to make my own record. Dun, 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 exclusive. No Todd yeah. Beauchamp record coming. <laughs> no, absolutely not. If somebody else wants to come over and like work all my stuff, maybe, but I'm not I'd 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 rather record other people. Noted, heard, yeah. cataloged in the brain for the future. Yeah, comfort <laughs> visit. I, you think I won't? I will. You be careful what you say, sir. I'm a <laughs> I'm a doer kind of a gal. Yeah. I, sh I show up. <laughs> um, Excellent. But so so when you were editing at that time, though, because and the reason I ask is like so when I went through what I'll just call like the dissolve of my band, there was definitely like a healing process to that because you put so much of yourself in it and then all of a sudden there's this like void and even if you go make a left or a right and you do these other things there's a piece of you that just changes instantly you know it goes from the thing yeah. you go and do every day or five four times a week or to just not yeah i mean i was definitely really sad and i really do think that there was something very special about that band and even when i even though you know most of my memories of it are all of us yelling at each other <laughs> uh 
you know, I really do. I, I think there was a reason people were so excited about that band and why so many people came to see us play. You know, I think that we really did do something special. Um, so I definitely mourned that. Um, but at the same time that that happened, uh, I really got into music producing. Right. So you had that fill kind so, of. So I, there was a sadness and a letting go and like a feeling of like, God damn it, we were so close. Like, fuck, I want to do this as a job. Shit. Right. Uh, there was that part, but then there was also at the same time where I was stepping into this new role that used more of my brain. Right. So like it felt, so it was a letting go, but then also a growing. So then I'm going to ask the same question after that year of producing, when you were like, okay, here's the thing. All these musicians are broken as much as I love them. And as much as I love creating with them and as much as I love recording them and having them in my studio and having this whole process, it's not financially feasible for me. Um, how did that transition go when you went kind of full-fledged into the editing world, you know, and then moving your way up into producing in the editing world and all of those things? Did you have a loss for that community that way? Yes. Although, I mean, yes, I did. I wasn't, when I went and got my first nine to five, I wasn't totally into it. Now, eventually that side of things has grown to be something I really do love and feel creatively fulfilled by, but it didn't start that way. Like project managing and network redesign isn't like <laughs> it's not like tickling all the all the creative juices up yeah. in your yeah. No. Um but again, I mean that crew is just incredible. And I I love like I met so many people there that I love. Um you know, and I ended up staying there. I I took any job just to stay there. Well and I yeah. love I love that though because I think the thing that a lot of creatives fall trapped to is that it's like, if it's not this, it's nothing. And I think that's a really, there's a really valuable lesson in there because, you know, in this aftermath, I, I mean, in the days we were recording with you, I believe you had already met who is now your stunningly beautiful wife, but you guys were, you know, your, your personal life was also evolving and, and having that kind of um, stability was something that enhanced your life on so many levels. And I think so often people poo-poo it because it's not the artist, quote-unquote, air quote, you know, the artist journey. It's not the, like, I'm living out of my suitcase in a car and it's dependable and that's not exciting. When really there's so much room to find both. Yeah, absolutely. And if you stick with something, a lot of times, like, I mean, I, I it's a cliche, but like, you know, change is the only constant. Like, and my career has changed so many times and taken so many different forms. Uh, and me as a person has done the same. I, you know, the only constant in my life is that the shit I cared about five years ago is not the same stuff I care about now. Totally. But, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, and most of the items on that list change. They all change numbers, but, you know, almost none of that stuff is the same. Well, and if you don't mind me sharing this, because it's going to come out of my mouth, if you do, I'm really yeah. sorry on the backside. But if you don't mind me sharing this, <laughs> when I first met, not when I, when I first met you, I think you had been dating Andrea, your beautiful wife. But there mm -hmm. was a time when you were like, yeah, I'm not going to get married. I'm not going to have a yeah. kid. Like, I'm not that guy. No, that's, I mean, uh, my wife and I, on our first date, talked about never getting married and never having kids. Yeah. And then three years later, we got married. And Best then, wedding ever, by the way. That was a good time. It was such and a good then, time. Uh, you know, I, I'm terrible at math, but seven years after that, we... Made a human. Popped out a kid. 
But all I say all of that to the same creative point. It's like, I think people, as we evolve and we grow, we make these finite lines sometimes when really as creatives, the one thing we probably should never do is say never. And we should probably never say, you know, I couldn't ever, or that wouldn't be me because we do evolve as artists and we do grow and we do shift. Mm -hmm. And the things that we become creative at change, you know, like I I would imagine you're the coolest parent ever. I mean, I knew that before you even wanted to have kids. I was like, you'd be the coolest parent ever. And that's creative in and of itself. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's a science experiment you get to interact with every day. <laughs> I really thought I absolutely wanted to only speak Klingon to him when he was first born. I really wanted to do that, but I, I don't speak Klingon, so that didn't work. Um, yeah. Like, <laughs> also, like, j- jobs change, right? Oh, uh, I get bored is the other thing. Like, if I do the same thing exactly the same way a bunch of times, and I just get bored. And so I think that's been part of my process is like, like with the video editing, right? Like I made a bunch of promos and I did stuff for Top Chef and The Real Housewives and all those things. Um, Because you're a fancy big deal. Good at everything uh, you do. I loved it. It was fun, right? But then I wanted to be a creative director. I wanted to manage people that were creating and actually doing the thing. So eventually, uh, you know, I started going for jobs that were higher up. Um, and there's a, in much like moving from playing guitar to being a music producer, moving from being a video editor to someone who is managing a team of editors just uses completely different parts of your brain and like is, uh, is an incredible experience. And, you know, I, I think it, it, for me, it really peaked at Esquire Network where we had a team of, I don't know, like 10, like we had separate writers and editors and sound designers and they were all reporting into me and like I had to fill out people's you undoubtedly are the world's best boss I would love to have to report to you I would love to know what Todd Bouchon what do you say when someone's not hitting the marks like how do you handle that because I would love to know how you handle that well luckily uh I work in a field uh where all metrics are pretty much entirely made up and subjective (laughs) Well, valid, but yes, but <laughs> so you know, like, hi, like if you look at someone's work and you're like, I don't know, it should be more creative. Like, well, <laughs> I mean, that's uh, it was look again. I mean, it's the same process, right? For every piece of work, you plant a flag. That is a conversation you have at the beginning of the thing, whatever the thing's going to be. Um, on the marketing side, there's always uh, like a there's always metrics that they want to hit or like uh, a message messaging. There are other departments that tell you what specific message has to be in that spot. Right. Um, And then on the creative team, you know, you discuss what you think the best way to do it is. And then you send the people off. A lot of being a manager is giving them the right tools Mm. to do their best work Mm. and giving them the space to be awesome. I love that you just said that too, though, because I kind of feel like, that is such a through line unto a human trait that we could all do better. I think so often, especially with creative personalities, we forget to give people tools, even if it's not our job, right? So like, even if it's, I, you love my music or I love mu- your music as a, as a creative person speaking to someone else when you're like, hey, what'd you think of the show? Or what'd you think of the, the edit that you saw? Or what'd you think of the thing? 
I think oftentimes we forget to give the feedback of we do it's good or it's bad, but we forget to go, you know, I loved all of this stuff. I didn't see X in you on this or like something okay. didn't come through, which is a tool set opposed to a criticism. It's like, for me, I missed elements that feel like this from you, you know, and then mm-hmm. it gives somebody an opportunity to decide oh, I didn't think about that part of me. Or they go, no, that's exactly what I wanted. Like I wanted to have it be empty in those spaces for whatever reason. And I think to your point, it's just, it's really interesting that as you come from a creative background with multiple skill sets in creativity, and as you move up and then deal with people, there is a creativity to finding ways to communicate what you think you need from the skills they have. Absolutely. And... In addition to that, um, yeah, you're always trying to collaborate with people. You always want to give them the space and the tools. And then also you're dealing with um, like this very sort of Game of Thrones (laughs) competition that happens. And I'll tell you, I sucked at that part. I was not good. I think the people uh, who were on my creative team, I think we did great work together and I'm really proud. I I thought that they did, you know, there was one year... Uh, Pro Max is uh, creative awards for television marketing. And there was one year at Esquire where every single one of my producers was nominated for something. Holy uh, cow. That's amazing. I, I am really, really proud of that. But like, holy cow, did I suck at like having, like getting the other departments to do what we wanted them to do. And like, <laughs> you know, I, we did great work. But that's only part of it. And that other side of it, you know, there's a reason why I didn't continue my uh, continue my rise in that company. <laughs> so let's talk about that transition because you you now had lived in LA, started, got married, had a kid, like mm-hmm. your life evolved. And then, dun-da-da, he ups and moves to Colorado, which I, I love because I, I love knowing that a big city thinker not that Colorado doesn't have big cities. I, I didn't even want to begin to imply that. But like, I love that an LA, New York thinker person is like, you know, maybe there's time for a life change. Maybe my creativity goes a different direction yet again. And to that point, I think that trap of where we get stuck as creative people is sometimes we just think it's supposed to be, we forget to be creative with ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's well said. Um, Because that was one of the things we talked about at that lunch on the lot. You were like, so you moved to Arizona. How's that going? (laughs) (laughs) And you were like, it's great. I never knew I could breathe and have less stress. Yeah. And I I never looked backwards. Noted. (laughs) Uh, I learned a lot at that lunch. Uh, (laughs) uh, It was, uh, yeah, we had the kid. And uh, as you know, Los Angeles hates children. Sorry. And uh, yeah, it's not a, an easy place to be a parent. There were two restaurants that were welcoming to children right. that I could think of. Um, and we rented our house and we're paycheck to paycheck, even though I had a good job. Right. Um, and it just wasn't working. And everyone we knew who left uh, was living a much better life. And it, for me, a lot of times more than the specific thing I'm trying to accomplish in my career, there's a lifestyle that I want to live. You know, 
I, I stopped wanting to be uh, an artist, my own, like a solo artist after I went on tour and made money for the first time. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm uh, 32 years old and I slept on couches that smelled like cat pee and I was out for two weeks and it was incredible. Incredible. It was so wild. I, I really did love it. But also I made $500. I came home with $500 and I was like, I could have done other things to make $500. <laughs> that didn't involve the urine of a cat. And not smell like a litter box, you know? Like, and when you're 25, I think that there's a, uh, you know, there's a romance to that life. And then when you're 35, you really do want to sleep in your own bed sometimes. <laughs> that's, that's why I love the 30s. I tell every young person, like, as they're approaching, they're like, oh, God, I'm going to be 30, which is exactly what I said when I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to be 30. And I look back and I, and I tell them now, I'm like, welcome to the best balance because you now are of an age where you can go, I want to do these creative things, but guess what? I'm going to raise the bar. <laughs> I'm going to raise the bar and I'm going to figure out how to meet that bar. And I'm going to get, like I just said, I'm going to get creative with myself where I'm going to start to fill more corners instead of just the one where it's like, oh, this is yeah. what life's supposed to be. When you're 25, you have to do it in that specific way. Correct. The world has to come to you so that you do that thing. I think as I've, as I've aged, I've definitely been like, oh, I don't, I just want to be over there somewhere. Like, and, and I want to do it in a way that feels good. That feels, you know, like I don't want to, at 25, I would have punched somebody in the face to get what I wanted, right? <laughs> like now, you know, I want everyone to feel good and nice. And I want us to all enjoy doing this thing. <laughs> it's evolution. It's wonderful. Yeah. Well, and that's why I love the journey so much. That's why I love talking about it so much. Because it's one of those things that it, no two journeys are the same. But on, on top of that the things that we come to realize in our own timeframes, I find so valuable. And yet in some way, there are these like landmark periods that everybody kind of finds their way. And I now watch it with our kids too. It's like at this yeah. age, boys are like, they're fascinated by their wieners and farts. And then at this age, they kind of go like, oh, maybe that's not appropriate. And, you know, there's other ways to get attention. And then at this age, they kind of go, you know, and you, you realize that this human connection and evolution is really so familiar on so many mm -hmm. levels to everyone. And yet we all design it differently, which is so cool. Yeah. I mean, what a cool masterpiece, you know? Yeah. Right. But life. The life. actual, the living of life. Right. Yeah. I it's, love that. It's kind of super sexy. I mean, in its own way, even though like tomorrow I might be like, crying because I'm like, what am I doing with my life? You know, but, <laughs> but as of right now, I'm like, this is the sexiest thing ever. Like we all get right. to pick our journey, but yet we have something in common. I mean, I'll tell you on social media, it looks like uh, you're absolutely killing it. So... Well, thank you. I'm so glad that's how it appears. I mean, I, you know, I, that's my biggest uh, gripe with social media is that innately, and I don't think it's, I mean, I do think there are people who intentionally are like, I will only post X, Y, Z. My body looks amazing or my life looks amazing or blah, blah, blah. I don't have that pressure because I really don't care. But I do think it's always in the highs that you want to share because naturally right. when it's low, you go like, <laughs> I don't want to, I don't need this moment highlighted for to show up in my memories a year from now. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> also, I think there's like, there's just like the quiet, sad moment or like the quiet, difficult moments where like, yeah, I barely made rent this month. Like who? <laughs> yeah, nobody, nobody posts that. 
<laughs> Nobody posts that. It's like you live in that um, you live in that moment alone, and then you just hopefully you go next month. I can do better, or I'll figure out something better, or whatever the case may be. But yeah, I mean, I think that's the biggest problem with social media is we've created this counterculture where everyone feels the need to keep up with the Joneses and whatever that be. And that's yeah. part of where this podcast stemmed from that I love is that it's like, nah, dude, the journey's awesome. The journey's yeah. awesome. And it's not until you look back at it that you realize how awesome it's been and that maybe those lows, you know, happened at just the right time when you didn't even know that was the case at the time. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, and like as a, you know, as artists, as songwriters, like you need stuff to write about. And not that every song is sad or whatever, but like those are the... The happy songs know, are the hard ones to write, in my opinion. Yeah, that's true. Like, life is good. I paid right. my bills. <laughs> I'm going to eat a sandwich. <laughs> and it's good for me. You know, like, I mean, it's... Lizzo's just good. <laughs> Lizzo rules at writing a happy song. Yeah, yeah. she's amazing. Well, all that to be said, this is a perfect transition because I now need to ask you the questions I ask everybody, which, oh, I'm, okay. which I have to tell you, you're one of the handful of people that even bothered to tell me beforehand, like, I read the questions you might ask me. Usually people are like, oh, we do this? <laughs> We're in the email. <laughs> well, not everybody chooses to read the email, so it's okay. Um, well, I have... out, convergence guests. Come on, man. <laughs> Catch up to Todd Beauchamp. Um <laughs> And it's okay. I always like when they're caught off guard too, because then it's really fun to see people think about this in the, in yeah. real time and go, oh crap, I should have thought about that. <laughs> um, having had the journey that you have had with the pivots and the shifts and the multi-talentedness that you embody in so many ways, what is something you would tell your younger self now? Uh, if I could go back in time and talk to my younger self, I wish that I had enjoyed the the incredible stuff I got to do in my twenties. Uh, at the time when I was doing all that stuff, I was really angry and bitter mostly. Why? Because, you know, I moved to LA to like be a musician. And so every gig was an opportunity to like get somewhere and do something. And I was trying to like build a career and have music pay my rent for the rest of my life. And that was what I wanted. That was like my singular goal. And so I got to do all this incredible stuff. And at the time, I was mostly just angry about it. Yeah, just and I didn't, like, in the moment, I wasn't enjoying it. Now right. I look on it now, and I'm like, man, that was nuts. <laughs> I can't believe I got to do that. That was amazing. Yeah. yeah, but at the time, my feeling mostly was like, fuck, that thing didn't happen that I wanted to happen. Mm, I love that though. I love that you bring that up because I do think that's something we all do. I mean, even if, for people listening that are not creative, I think we all tend to forget that the moment is the precious part. Like the thing you're doing right now is the thing like, and that's one thing I've really learned. Like, I love this. Like when I, I you know, I've been blowing up your phone all morning being like, I can't wait. This is going to be. We're going to talk. It's finally happening. It's finally <laughs> happening. We're going to talk. But there's so much to to unpack with that. I mean, the reality is, is that we all forget to do that most of the time. Mm -hmm. And we take for granted the thing that is actually building the life we are carving, which is the present moment. Yeah. I love that. And it's true. It's like, if, you, if you're in that moment and the incredible thing's happening and you can take that nanosecond to go like, holy shit, this is incredible. And I'm lucky yeah. enough to do it. Then go, that, uh, then go home and go, now what's next? Like, what can yeah. I... <laughs> right. Uh, Curtis talks about that a lot, about uh, 
celebrating the small victories. Yeah. Of, Curtis you know, Peoples, and, our mutual friend, who's also been on the podcast. He's a great guy. Yeah. I, it was a great episode. Uh, yeah. He talks about how, uh, you know, if, you're, if your focus is always on the milestone and how close or how far you are from the milestone, then you miss the opportunities to celebrate the really cool thing that happened today. Yeah. And then all the and then the little things become milestones in a way because you're really appreciating that that small thing, whatever it was, or the big thing, whatever it was, is just what it was. Awesome. And maybe it's a stepping stone, maybe it's not. But how much more joy you fill your life with? I love that. I love that critique on yourself. Um, what would you say has been a career high and a career low for you this thus far? And it doesn't. Uh, it could be music or a video. I mean, however, from yeah. either angle. I would say uh, career high. Well, I probably would say, I, I think I really loved that last year at Esquire Network, the whole team we had. And we just, you know, once we, once we dialed it in, uh, it was just a really incredible feel. Like I really enjoyed going to work every day and being surrounded and, and being creative with that team. Um, career low was that entire network got canceled. <laughs> You're like, we just built this incredible situation where everybody's vibing and it's it's hitting all these great strides of energy. And now it's like, wah, wah. I mean, to be fair, most people don't know that that was a television network that existed. <laughs> <laughs> Nor did they know it at the time. But uh, I have to say being like a story hit on deadline and then we everyone in the whole network got called into a room and like told that the network wasn't going to exist anymore. Wow. And, uh, I mean, that was... Uh, Gut-wrenching, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. that was that was a bad day. <laughs> <laughs> we, we all got real drunk at lunch that day. <laughs> the commissary had no idea how much booze they'd be pushing Ooh. that afternoon. <laughs> yeah, that was terrible. I have to ask because we kind of... Um, I just realized I'm going to go back a little bit only because we didn't really make a full fledged discussion about the fact that you did move to Colorado. You did take the leap and you had talked about, you know, LA and families and all of that, but I, but you didn't really expand on the fact that like career wise, was it, was it an opportunity that was fruitful monetarily, creatively? What was the draw that got you to make the jump? We wanted the lifestyle. Got it. Uh, We, LA, we, we were slowly drowning. Um, we were not putting any money away. If our landlord had kicked us out of the house for any reason, we would have had nowhere to go. Right. And now I'm a dad. Right. 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 So we just saw the writing on the wall. So we spent about, it actually, had, it took like three years to get out of the city. I didn't so realize I was like, that you had been looking that long. I didn't know that. Yeah. I was looking for jobs in, we, we loved Denver and we loved Portland. And so I was just trying to find any job that I wouldn't hate. And it's tough as a, you know, as a video, as a TV guy, there aren't a ton of jobs right. in Denver and Portland for what is on my resume. Most of those jobs are in New York or LA. Right. Um, well, that, yeah. that was actually part of why I asked, because I think oftentimes, and I, in a funny way, I think COVID has changed this, but mm-hmm. which I think is a silver lining, but that was the, that was the precipice, is that the right word? Behind the question, um, because I do think it's interesting to know that they may not be 
you know, surrounding you the way they would in a major city, but they do exist. Like, I think that's another thing people assume if I'm not in LA or New York, I don't have a shot at working in the arts. And I just don't think that's true. Oh, no. I mean, Denver's got all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Denver's a big city. I know. But I think people forget, that's my point, is that I think especially when you live in LA or New York, you just drink the water of like, it only happens here. And that's just... Right. I, it's, I mean, it's certainly more there. Yeah. You know, like, so it took, me th- it took me three years to finally land a job. Um, I got close on a couple things. Actually, we came to one of your shows when we thought I was going to get a job and then I didn't get it. Yeah, I think I remember I that. remember that night. <laughs> um, yeah, and then I, fi- I got a job. I work at... Um, when you go to the movies before the trailers and they show like Maria Menounos and a bunch of content about oh, yeah. movies. Yeah. I cut that stuff now. So I you're editing our entertainment. Like when we go to the movies and we get to go, finally, I'm going to kick back and eat too much fattening food and like not care about my life. I get to see your work on the screen. Yeah. This is and, awesome. You know, before the, I, I am so over the moon. I love my job now. Um, yeah. I mean, I work cause I work for, I mean, it's a private company, but we work for the, the exhibitors, for the, the actual movie theaters. Um, so I get to cut stuff for every movie studio, like every blockbuster that's coming out. I get to cut, you know, behind the scenes interviews with trailer footage. And like, I mean, it's just, it's, you know. This is amazing. Guess, you know, I, made my, I made my bones at Bravo, uh, you know, doing reality TV stuff. And then, and when you're doing that, all of them, everybody who's working on that side of the industry is like, I just want to be doing movies, man. hundred <laughs> percent of them. Uh, yeah. And then the people who do movies are like, man, I wish I was just cutting reality shows. <laughs> <laughs> the grass is always greener. Yeah. Uh, so now I get to work on that stuff all day. I was cutting, uh, what was I doing today? Um, or yesterday was uh, Godzilla versus Kong. Oh, today, today was Mortal Kombat. Oh I'm my gosh. I don't know if it's appropriate for my for my child to see, but my husband did show my child Godzilla versus Kong. And now my whole universe is about banging my chest and like blowing fire out my mouth and all of these, just so you know. And not that you asked, yeah. but I'm just telling you anyway, because it just, it's the world I'm living in right now. Yeah, we're dealing with the exact same thing. <laughs> uh, the husband took the, uh, took the kid and showed him that movie. <laughs> Is that a husband thing? Like, do you and DJ get in each other's brains and just go, you know what we're going to do? We're going to just terrorize our wives by showing our kids, you know, the things that will haunt them for the next 10 months. I don't think there's any way to answer that question without saying something sexist. Fair enough. So, we'll leave it there. We'll leave it there. I'm going to go ahead and just bow out. Just bow out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so at this point with your journey, what would you say your definition of success is, has that word changed for you? What does it mean to you? Do you even care about that word? Yeah, well, it absolutely has changed. I mean, as we previously, like when I was 25, success was, you know, having a record sell a lot and being rich and, um, you know, having a mountain up on the hill, having a house up on the hill. Um, And I don't, you couldn't pay me to live on that hill now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I really do feel like I've won the lottery and I'm in a place now where I love random Tuesdays. 
you know, I love the, I'm not, there's no milestone I'm even trying to reach anymore. I just enjoy, like, I feel like a very successful person. There is a roof over my head. Uh, there's food to eat. And I absolutely adore and am more in love with my wife now than every previous day. She's pretty badass, by the way, for people who don't know her. She's really incredible. Guys, I really married up. <laughs> I did all right. Uh, and I love my kid and like the three of us together. It just that every day of our lives. Now, look, we also have problems and issues and things that happen every day, too. It's, it's not a social media perfect situation, but like, holy fuck, do I love it. And I love it all the time at random. And Something I so appreciate to- you saying that too, because that's, that's exactly what life is supposed to be. I, I talk to people about this more than I can even imagine is that there is no scenario that doesn't have the turmoils or the ups and the downs or the, you know, we get along today, but not tomorrow, or we didn't see eye to eye on Kong versus whatever, or whatever. But the thing is, there's not a person on earth you could be with that you're not going to run into those things. So it's like when you're in it and you can recognize I am the luckiest person, I am a healthy person, I am a, I have food in my mouth, I have a roof over my head, I have a family that I adore spending time with and the quality of my life is at a 10, we're pretty fucking lucky, Todd. Yeah, very, very lucky. I'm yeah. very fortunate. And I, yeah, it's been, a, uh, it's been a road to get here. <laughs> and I've fallen off that road a few times. <laughs> As we all but, have. Uh, yeah, but I really do feel like the guy at the end of the movie, you know, who has learned his lesson and... Uh, you know, gets to live happily ever after. I feel like I'm in my happily ever after, even in a global pandemic and being home for a year. It's been a, a really great year. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's just, I, I think that is exactly the upside of all of this. I think everybody's had time to say, oh, wait, all those little mediocre, menial things I complained about because it was just inconvenient or because it was in the rush of everything. Everybody's sitting there going like, doesn't matter. No. The important stuff's here perspective, right? Yeah. 100%. Don't well, go outside because you don't want to die for a year. <laughs> really puts shit into perspective. <laughs> Call me crazy. I mean, it's just a really good equalizer on, on perspective. Yes. <laughs> well, my perspective is that I just enjoy you as much as ever and for always. And I'm so honored and thankful and glad that you were a guest on my podcast. One, because it's just a forced hangout. And when I put, when I give people like, you know, appointments on a podcast, everybody shows up and then we really get to hang. Otherwise, we all text each other like, we should hang. And then we don't. (laughs) Well, we should hang. Yeah, I I believe that. (laughs) I feel that way deeply and strongly. I want you to come visit me. I want to come visit you. I want our children to be best friends. Let's do it. He needs one. Yeah, (laughs) we both have only children. They need each other. They need, can can they beat each other up? Is that all right? I mean, it's not going to not happen. So we might as well just say it's all right. Bodhi is like all the right. king of wrestling. That's his thing right now. I want to wrestle. Yeah. He's a little... How, how far apart are they? I mean, it's just a I couple I think more. they're only like four months apart. Six months, four months apart. Yeah. Because when is Rhett's birthday? July. June. 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 And Bodhi's yeah. September. Yeah. There so you go. Three, four months apart. Something like yeah. that. Yeah, I, I mean, they're like neck and neck. And they're both kind of little scrappers, which are adorable. Yeah. Bodhi's probably a little tinier than, than Rhett, but... Rhett's a bit of an ox. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
But Bodie's a scrapper. Like, he's like through the yeah. legs and jumps up on the back when you didn't even know he was coming. You got to so, get those rifles together. That's what. That's the next step. So first podcast, then family reuniting. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Well, listen, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, to be on here. And you asked me a bunch of questions, but I would love to hear about your life. But I feel like that's rude to go on somebody's podcast. <laughs> well, that just means you have to call me. You have to call me. And I would just put it on speaker and I'm just going to travel you around my house while I'm doing my chores and we'll catch up on all the things. I love it. Okay. Done. Done and done. I'll put an invite on your... <laughs> oh, why? <laughs> Please put the invite on my calendar. We'll make it happen. We'll pretend it's a podcast. I love it. Okay. Thank you for you being my guest, Todd. Yes. <gasps> right here. It was born. The Toddcast. Toddcast podcast. There you go. I'm in. I'll be your first guest. All right. Sold. <laughs> Thank you for being here. I adore you. I love you. I love your family. And I will talk to you very soon because now you're in trouble. Right. I love you, Candace. Say hey to everybody for me. I will do. Have a good day, my dear. All right. You too. Bye. Bye. Today's episode is brought to you by the Natural History Institute. Located at 126 North Marina Street in historic downtown Prescott, Arizona, the Natural History Institute is a nonprofit which seeks to cultivate love and understanding of the natural world. They have programs for naturalists of all stripes, newcomer, novice, and veteran. All are welcome who are looking to deepen their relationship with the natural world. Please check out their website at naturalhistoryinstitute.org or head to their Natural History YouTube channel. Thank you for listening to The Creative Convergence, coming to you from Raven Sound Studio in historic downtown Prescott, Arizona. Are you a professional in the arts and would like to share your story with us? Or a company that would like to advertise with us? Shoot us an email at contact at ravenproductionsmedia.com. Help support the arts by becoming a Raven Productions member get your perk card and be the first to know about all of our upcoming promotions, events, and online programming. Your membership will directly support the arts programs in our schools. Sign up today at ravenproductionsmedia.com. Until next time, be safe and enjoy the journey.